So I knew that if I didn't do something differently or try to solve the problem of finding food quickly, I would probably starve, right? So instead of freaking out and shutting down, I just took a step back and said, okay, what can I do to get out of this situation? And this applies to anything in life. If you're, if you're facing a problem, you just have to, if you can't solve it, take a step back and just figure out what can I do immediately to figure this out. Welcome to the Raising Confident Teens podcast, where we talk about life and leadership with teens and their parents. I'm Hudson. And I'm Rachel. And on today's show, we're going to be talking with Umar Jang. Umar is a resilient subject matter expert who helps busy professionals build lasting resilience and positive habits so they can overcome any challenge and reach their goals without dwelling on the past using his Frames Resilience Coaching Framework. As a teenager, Umar lived in a refugee camp after a deadly mob attacked his home and caused him to be separated from his family. After overcoming life-changing hardships and loss, he learned to harness the power of resilience and positive thinking to shed his limiting beliefs and transform his life. Today, Umar focuses on helping people discover their blind spots and achieve transformational changes in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the podcast, Umar. Thank you for having me, Rachel. It's a great honor, and, and I was looking forward to being on the podcast. Thank you. Yes, I was on actually on your podcast, and I heard your story, and it is is just such an amazing story of overcoming some really hard and difficult uh, challenges that you went through as a teenager, starting, you know, back then even, you went through a lot of hard stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, certainly. It happened when I was a teenager, so I was 15 at the time, and I was living in, in West Africa, specifically a country called uh, Mauritania. And uh, the, the country was going through some, over the years, over the decades, some you know, minor tensions between people of Senegalese descent, which uh, my parents were from Senegal, so we were of Senegalese descent, but we were born and raised there, my siblings and I. Uh, but anyway, long story short, the there was a the local population, the white Moors, wanted to, for a long time, wanted to identify as as be, being part of the the Arabic world, the nor, northern Africa, which is the Morocco, Algeria, and so on. So there was a long-standing, um, really, I don't want to say plot, but a long-standing uh, uh, effort to get closer to to the that part of the the continent and so they saw anyone who didn't speak arabic or didn't look like them or or wasn't really from from uh, from the north of africa they saw as someone who potentially couldn't assimilate to the culture even though we, we were born there so long story short in yeah in in uh, in 1989 there was an event that happened where uh, just out of the blue, there was a conflict that happened at the border between the two countries, Senegal and Mauritania, that escalated into into really killings and on both sides of the of, of the of the border. 
and my family was caught in that in the crossfire and uh, we found ourselves we literally someone a mob knocking on our door and trying to break the door down and to get in so that was uh, how this whole uh, thing started and uh, one thing leading to another I got separated from my family they, they fled the country and I, I ended up in a refugee camp uh, separated from them and I was only 15 at the time yeah um, tell a little bit about because I've heard your story before. Mm. Tell a little bit about how you managed to save your family when they came knocking on the door. Yeah, when they came knocking, everyone was, of course, in the house, uh, sitting down. Uh, we were hiding some of our neighbors, some of our Senegalese neighbors, uh, because they were very recognizable as Senegalese, so they came to hide in, in our home. So we had a number of people hiding. My, my mom was there, my sibling, my sisters. And when they knocked on the door, it was very clear very quickly that they weren't going away because they knocked several times. And each time they knocked, it got louder and louder and louder. And finally, no one was doing anything. Everyone was just sitting terrified. And my sister and I looked at each other and decided that, okay, we gotta do something here. Otherwise, if they come in, they're gonna kill everyone in here. So we went to the door, kind of cracked it open a little bit, and spoke the local language, uh, which was, uh, it's Hassania, it's a mixture of the local dialect and Arabic, and managed to convince them after some back and forth to that we were, Seneg we were uh, Mauritanians and there were no Senegalese in the house, and to, to, to go away, basically. And uh, with some hesitation, they reluctantly left. And uh, by just doing that, by making the choice of going to the door, and talking them down, we managed to literally save everyone who was in the home. And you guys just fled and left everything you owned, right? Yeah, everything. I mean, we had uh, we had a home there, we had land, we had uh, belongings, and and I mean, we we spent uh, decades. My parents uh, moved to to Mauritania in the 1960s, and we, I was born there. My some of my sisters were. So everything we left everything behind, and. Uh, when I flew back to Senegal, eventually, the only thing I had on me was uh, one pair of pants, one shirt, and some school transcripts. That's all I had on me. How long were you in the refugee camp? I was there for about seven to ten days uh, total before uh, eventually the the two governments decided to... Actually, it was the international community that came together, so France... Uh, the Senegal and Mauritania are former French colonies, so they felt some responsibility in, in what was happening and they wanted to help. So they, they had a, an international corridor that basically bridged uh, flights between the two capitals and flew people from one country to another. And when they came to the camp, they kind of bussed us out to the airport where, where we spent an extra night uh, around some very tight security and eventually uh, flew back home uh, in uh, when I arrived in Senegal and, <laughs> and I, I didn't even know for sure that I knew where I was going. I had an address in my head and I knew the name of my uncle and I spent uh, time in the city asking around until eventually someone pointed me to the in the right direction. So it'd been a couple weeks since you'd seen your family? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a, a couple weeks. I was in the camp a couple weeks, but I haven't seen my family in about a month. Okay. Because they left for, for the, the uh, the embassy, the Senegalese embassy at the time, and then eventually ended up being rerouted, and so I, when my 
my mom had to make a tough choice because she separated me and my siblings. Uh, my sisters went ahead and I stayed back for a couple of days with her because I, again, this is a teenage brain at the time. I decided that I wanted to stay behind and finish the semester, the school semester. Uh, the, I only oh. had a couple of days. And by making that choice, I kind of forced my mom to sit stay, stay behind with me. And uh, she, we, we went to stay with her, uh, one of her friends, uh, who, who was a Mauritanian, was married to a Mauritanian. And uh, we stayed there for a couple nights. My mom left my friend's house, or her friend's house rather, to go check on our home and to see, to make sure that nothing was vandalized or anything. And then she never came back. And I, I later found out that she was arrested by the military police and <laughs> never saw her until we reunited much later. So that's when I found myself really alone in, in a country that didn't want me, that <laughs> where people were trying to kill, basically kill me, and eventually went to the, to the camp. So it, it had been for my mom a month to six weeks before, since she saw me last. Uh, so when we eventually reunited, when I found my way to Senegal, knocked on the door and had one of my, my cousins open the door and she didn't recognize me because we hadn't seen each other in years. And I said, hey, my name is Umar, I'm so-and-so's son and I'm here just looking for my mom. She looked at me and gave me a hug and immediately I could hear women screaming in, in the room <laughs> next door and crying and in you know tears of joy and just hugging me and they, they thought I was dead. They literally thought I was dead. So, Yeah. That's such an amazing story. So what was the hardest part of that experience? I think the hardest part was feeling that you that I didn't belong any, anymore to in a country where I was literally born and I was raised and uh, finding myself isolated, right? So normally when you have a problem, you might go to a friend or a family member or even your parents, right, to help help you sort things out. But I didn't have that option. I found myself alone in the country and I had to figure everything out and I had to grow up really, really quickly, uh, overnight, literally. That was probably the hardest thing, that sense of isolation uh, in, uh, in a place that, that was really hostile at the time. Mm. Yeah, it's hard enough to grow up, have to grow up anyway, but then mm. <laughs> add, all those, add all those other things on it. Before that time, had you been pretty self-sufficient teenager or were you or or yeah. how, how would you but what would you say about yourself yeah i i grew up uh, at the time i grew up in the 80s uh, and uh, i was very pre pretty much yeah very independent my you know my parents my 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 father died when i in his um in his uh, 50s so he died young and i was about 11 at the time when my dad passed away but throughout my, my uh, adolescence and my childhood, I literally could just leave the house after school, go back, wouldn't come back until until the witching hour, my mom would call it. Uh, so <laughs> we just say, go play, don't come back until it's later. And we would just disappear and come back uh, when when it's dark. Yeah, so we were pretty independent. And of course, we did some, some very risky things as part of that freedom. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of kids do that. Yeah. Well. What were you go what gave you hope as you were going through all that? I think what gave me hope was focusing on the fact that I was going to no matter what find my my parents, find my my siblings and my family and reunite with them. 
So that single thought really was the focus. It became my my uh, my my light, if you will, in the dark to actually ha have hope and know that you know what. If I just stick with it, I need to do whatever I need to do to survive this, so that I can re reunite with with my family, because I knew that they they thought I was dead. I'm pretty sure they they thought I was dead, and that thought I know would be very painful for for my mom particularly who had just lost my dad uh, you know a mere four years before that so mm. so was it a conscious decision on your part going through all of this you know people trying to kill you people put you in a refugee camp did you consciously said I'm not going to become bitter about this or did you struggle with that at all? Like anger and bitterness about the way you were being treated? Yeah, for me, I, I was, I grew up being a very positive uh, kid and looking at life as as uh, being full of possibilities, full of discoveries. And that whatever you make of life is really what you're going to get out of it, right? So I I was very positive and always looked at life as a problem to be solved, but in, in a nice way, something to be discovered. So when I was in the camp, I, I did have to make some very conscious choices to go beyond, above and beyond just being quote unquote positive, right? Because I knew that mm -hmm. that wouldn't be enough to help me survive in the camp, right? Because when you face a situation like that, whether it's being in a camp or, or a minor challenge, you have a flat tire on the side of the road or you, you, uh, you're facing some, some adversity from, from some friends, it, you have to, to find a way to not only accept that, deal with it, but find a way to, to, go be, to, to really go past that, uh, those emotions that keep you in that state of, of maybe anger or bitterness, right? because I knew that wasn't going to serve me because there were every single day, there were things in the camp that I had to focus on to be able to survive. And that, that, that mentality was something that I had to have to be able to survive. And, and I did make a conscious choice to do that. Yeah, because you, if I remember correctly, you guys didn't have enough food to eat in the camps, right? No, no, food was, was, was scarce because of the number of people in the camp. The camp was designed to hold maybe, I think, a couple hundred people. We ended up having thousands and thousands of people pour into the camp. So whenever they had food rations uh, come in, people had to fight and, and really fight for the food. And the, the crowd was really large. And I don't know if you ever felt uh, the feeling of being in the middle of a crowd and feeling like you're being crushed which is mm -hmm. like you're, you're drowning while you're standing on dry land. And, uh, and I knew that if I, and at the time I was very small in stature, I, I weighed maybe I think 130, 140 pounds, uh, 15 years old. So I knew that if I didn't do something differently or try to solve the problem of finding food quickly, I would probably starve, right? So instead of freaking out and shutting down, I just took a step back and said, okay, what can I do? to get out of this situation. And this applies to anything in life. If you're, if you're facing a problem, you just have to, if you can't solve it, take a step back and just figure out what can I do immediately to figure this out. And for me, it was really finding other adults to, to, to connect with and to, to really share resources so we can survive in the camp. And that was the best decision I made when I, when I was in the camp. 
Yeah. And most of us are not going through, I'm starving, you know, our, right. our situations in America right. are not normally life and death like that, but mm. we can so easily get trapped in our head where we freak out and then there's nothing productive happening. Right, right. So did you see other people, maybe friends, go through the exact same circumstances and respond differently? Yeah, I think there were acquaintances, people that I knew that did go through the same situation, maybe not necessarily being in the camp, but who had fled the country as well and went to Senegal that um, didn't do so well, right? Because they, to me, this was an opportunity to to hit the reset button and start anew and take a different direction in my life. That's how I saw it. But to many people, they focused on trying to get back what they lost, right? Even though yeah. they could never get that back, right? So their their goals, their, their direction in life focused on getting what they had, not factoring in the fact that, hey, what challenged you in the past and give you a reset in life is an opportunity for you to aim higher so you can achieve more, so you can do more, so you can get what you deserve in life. And But yeah, to your point, there were people who just didn't do so well. Yeah, and, and I could see that would be so hard. You know, kind of like, uh, you know, the situation that I think of that many of us can relate to is the Jews in Germany. Mm. When, you know, they lost everything and they were being very similar to to your story, but a lot of people mm. don't hear about your your country. Um, it would be so hard to not feel like a victim. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That That's very true. And I think one thing that I, that I do keep in mind is that different people react differently to different situations, right? So if you are walking down the street and and something really bad happens some people will run some people will will just freeze in place and some people will will just completely lose it right so it's a matter of of it doesn't mean that their emotions are not valid or their reactions to the issue or the the problem they're facing is not valid uh, but i think sometimes it's a matter of of uh, taking a step back again, taking a step back and just saying, okay, is it going to serve me to to react a certain way, or is it going to make matters worse, right? And and I heard, uh, I don't recall where I heard this. I think it was on 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 um, on, on satellite radio. Uh, someone saying, uh, I think it was on a master class that someone gave, and she was saying that if you're hanging on a ledge and you're really high up the mountain, and you're trying to not fall, and a snake, you see a snake next to you. If you freak out and and lose control, you're gonna you're gonna go. You're, the least thing you have to worry about is being bitten by the snake because you're gonna fall to your death, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at certain situations like that, you start to realize, okay, I just need to sometimes recenter myself and find a way to get through this in the best way that will serve me, right? Now it it could mean that you need to deal with the issue and the drama and the trauma so you can move ahead, but you must absolutely process that information with the goal of moving forward so that you're not stuck and stagnant in life. Yeah. You know, we talk of, you know, resilience has become a very common, more common word. Mm. We, I don't remember ever hearing that growing up, resilience. What exactly is resilience? Yeah, good question. Well, resilience at its core is basically the ability for a person 
to bounce back from a challenge or, or obstacle, something happens to you in life, how quickly can you bounce back from it and, and get back to normal, right? So the, your ability to do that is defined as resilience, right? As opposed to lack of resilience where something happens to you and it, it shuts you down and it derails you for a long, long time uh, to the point that it changes the direction of your life. Can resilience be learned by anyone? Yes. Yes, absolutely. The Some people are maybe born with, with a predisposition to be more resilient, but it doesn't mean that uh, anyone uh, can't learn it, right? So anyone can be resilient. Uh, and, and in fact, there are some, if you look at life, there are some clues and some things that happen to us in life that are actually teaching us to teaching us to be more resilient, right? So in your case, if you think about some of the things that you've faced so far in life, right? In comparison to to for example to to your mom or to, or to me, it might be not as severe, but it's still valid, and it it can make you as resilient as me, someone else, or anyone in life. Because think about some of the things that you overcame, right? maybe learning to skateboard and falling and getting up, right? Scraping your knee, maybe learning to ride a bicycle. Maybe someone that you you really like and they didn't like you back, right? So all of those emotions that you you faced and you were in maybe in a in a very low moment in your life, but you overcame it, right? And you survived and you realize, hey, stuff happens in life, but how I react to it actually teaches me something about how strong I am. And if you can do that and look back and say, hey, wait a minute, I am resilient. Look, I learned to skate. I fell and got up, right? So if you can just look back at your life and understand that you were building that resilience muscle, then it makes you more and more resilient as you go through life and face more challenges. Right. So, you know, this is a, this is just to remind ourselves, like, you know, if everything is easy for you, you're not gaining the skills that you need to become a better person. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like if everything is handed to you, you may think it's great, but then when one hard thing comes, you're going to fall apart. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So we've got to let our kids, we've got to let our kids face the hard things and not always bail them out. Because that's just part of life, and they're going to need to learn it. Because they'll be better adults. Yeah, definitely. The more resilient, you know, it has a lot to do with growth mindset too, right? Like that's mm -hmm. been pop, become more popular too. Like if we can teach our kids, you know, uh, you know, a lot of us growing up, we had such fixed mindsets. Like if I'm not, I'm not good at this, so I don't want to do it. Right? right. I'm never going to be good at it. But they've found, you know, the more we, the more you learn, you can learn more than you think you can learn. And, and just mm -hmm. because you're not good at something now doesn't mean you won't be good at it in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think as, as parents, one of the, the, the balance that we have to strike is the, that balance between being a parent, being a coach and being a, a confident, right? Uh, someone that they can, yeah. your kids can rely on. And it's really difficult to to stay in the middle and strike that balance. I, I remember when my my uh, I have three boys, and when my two boys were younger, five and six, I think it was at the time, 
uh, I sent them to France to, to live with my sister for the summer, for, for three months or so. And I remember my mother-in-law being like, oh my God, you're going to leave them there? I'm like, yeah, it's my <laughs> sister. She has six kids. She knows how to handle kids, right? So it's, it's that, that uh, people can't, some, some parents can't even imagine being separated from their children. What they're not realizing is that when you're thinking that way, you're thinking about yourself and, and you're being maybe overly protective to the point that you're not allowing your child to, exp to get the experience that they might need to build more resilience or be strong or learn experiences that will serve them in their lives, right? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. That might be more of an American thing too, because my, <laughs> my, mom's, my mom's Chinese and they, they sent us off to do stuff all the time. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like thinking, you know, maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's more of a other culture thing where, where we, we expect more out of our kids. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. What's that show that aired a, a few months back where they sent uh, young kids to do some chores around town with a film crew following them? Oh, that sounds like a wonderful show. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I didn't watch it. I just kind of caught the trend and, and I had to read up on it. And it was it's a bunch of young kids, I think under the age of, of, of seven. Some, uh -huh. some are young as five, I believe, and they would send them around time, town including taking a bus and getting off on their own to run chores. And, mm -hmm. and America was divided because of that show. They were like, I would yeah. never do that. This is child abuse. I'm like, no, it's not. You, 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 you know, there's a camera crew around them. They're protected. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I'm always telling my kids, I wish we could have a reality show where we send you guys off and you have to survive like we had to. So you have... You know, no GPS. I'm fine with that. <laughs> you have to like stop and ask directions or look at an old map. Yeah. You know, or you the old phone. map. <laughs> I don't know about that one, but I would ask somebody for directions. I've had to do it before. Yeah. 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 I think you know it's funny thinking about how how much how how things have changed over the years. Um. So would you say that a lot of resilience has to do with your mindset? Yeah, absolutely. I think it always comes down to that mindset, which uh, you can even boil it down to to making a, a conscious, conscious, I can't speak, a conscious choice to actually do or not do something or see something as a challenge or see, see it as an opportunity, right? And I, yeah, it definitely comes down to to uh, you seeing the world in, in a certain light and understanding that if, if you're seeing everything as maybe on a negative light and saying, you know what, I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm just going to leave it at, leave it at that, right? You're, you're never really putting yourself in a situation, position to actually learn and, and grow and push yourself to, to explore your, your limits, which can allow you to actually grow as a human being. Right. So there are so many things that in life that we do and we later we were reluctant doing it. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to go on this or that. You do it and you realize, oh, my God, I actually loved it. And it opens up a whole new world to you. I think one, exa one good example of that is traveling to a country where you don't speak the language, for example. You know, you, well, most of us are reluctant to do that. But when you do, whether you're a teenager or a parent or you do it together, you realize that there is um, a deep-seated 
need and, and want that we as humans have to not only socialize with our family, our friends, our community, but also the world at large. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always I'm always trying to push my kids and push myself and, and try try as many things as you can because you may not know. You may like that and you didn't even know, right? Yeah. You, you would have never known that if you didn't try it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah you're right. That's very important. Uh, you know, if you're a teenager, you need to you need to take advantage of the fact that you don't have maybe all of those responsibilities that are coming up when you turn 20, 30. So take advantage of that. Try things that you, you maybe would never think about trying and even consider traveling and consider doing apprenticeships and, and internships and, and just do something that you think is actually might, might challenge you to, to be a better person. And you'd be surprised. Yeah. A lot of people have found their careers and their passions in life by just trying something new that they didn't yeah. want to try. And if you, you know, the, the, the pain of the failure is not as great when you don't have all those responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. That. Yeah. yeah. And if you can learn to embrace failure, the younger you can learn that lesson, the more... I think the more freeing it will be for your future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Failure is is very important to growing, especially when yeah. you are a, a teenager and and you're going and you're starting to learn life, and you're about to go into adulthood. If you think about it, some of the best inventions that we've had were a result of a fa- failure. Someone tried to do something, they completely failed, and they invented something they didn't. In want to invent or didn't intend to invent, right? So, silly putty is one, and uh, microwaves are one. Microwaves, someone didn't try to make a microwave, they tried to make something else, and they made microwaves, right? Fireworks, fireworks were the mistake that a cook was making something in the kitchen, stuffed them into bamboo, and it exploded, right? <laughs> Why so, was he using gunpowder in the kitchen? <laughs> Well, this was 2,000 years or so ago, a long time ago, where gunpowder apparently was a natural ingredient, normal ingredient to have in your kitchen. Really? So, yeah, absolutely. And sulfur and some of the ingredients. Interesting. So, yeah. What were they eating? <laughs> <laughs> How to make homemade fireworks. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, don't that... try that at home. Yeah, that makes me wonder. I'm going to have to go do some research on that. <laughs> What would you say to people going through a challenging time? Well, one thing I would say is when we go through a challenging time, one of our first reactions is to withdraw, right? Isolate yourself, go in your room, don't talk to anyone, don't tell anyone. That's absolutely the one thing you shouldn't be doing. Whatever challenge you're facing, it's a lot easier for you to overcome it when you, at a minimum, talk to someone and share that burden that's that's bugging you. And when you do that, there's something that unlocks in your brain that that shows you that, you know, there's hope that you will actually overcome the challenge. So one thing I would say is if you can share it with someone, even if it's not your parents, if you can't share it with your parents or your friends, find the one person that you can talk to that will actually just listen to you. Right. And that's the number one thing I would say to do. That's that's good advice. I I've never heard anyone give that advice, but that yeah, that is so important. I I remember we went through some really really hard times um, when we first got married, and we didn't tell anybody. Like we we finally told this our story, um, 
like last year. So we we didn't talk mm-hmm. about it for like twenty something years, and then wow. after we, it was a big financial difficulty we went through, and then after we started telling our story, it was like, why did we wait so long? It, it was so freeing, and we were able to help so many people, um, yeah. who were who were themselves going through hard times because they're like, oh wow, you did that. Maybe I can make it. You know, maybe I can get through too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it takes up real estate in your in your mind. And every every day you wake up, it's like it resets and starts all over again because you haven't unloaded that baggage. So yeah, to speak. that's good. Is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, one thing I would just say is anyone can can be resilient. It's in fact a lot of us have already been throughout our life since the moment that you are born you are learning to be resilient, right? You had to fight to be born. You had to fight to give that first cry. And so your life, throughout your life, you have these small things that happen to you that are really building you up to be stronger. So whatever goals you have, whatever you want to do in life, I'm here to tell you that you can do it. It's just a matter of believing that you can do it and taking the action to make it happen. Yeah, that's good. Where can people find you? They want to hear more from you. Yeah, the best place to go is my website, which is umarjang.com. And yeah, from there you can you can reach me throughout my social media platforms and all of my uh, my channels, including my my podcast. So, which is called the Motivational Voice. Correct. And we will have links to all that in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Umar. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure talking to both of you. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. Thank you. Um, if you're looking for a cool science project for school, head over to antlionfarms.com and check out our store. Use the code CONFIDENT and get 10% off your order. Antlionfarms.com is the best place to buy antlion. Thanks for joining us and have a great week. <laughs>